0: 2020 represents uh, the end of one decade and the beginning of another. I'm already starting to see the articles uh, out there, the, the 10 best albums of the 2010s or the 10 most historical or the 10 most newsworthy stories of the 2010s. So that's coming around. So we're ending a decade and starting another. And just for a moment, let's just think about together... Everything that has happened in 10 years. Well, we have to start with the hard part. Of course, there are empty pews this morning because over the last 10 years, we have lost some faithful members. On the other hand, if my count is right, and I think it might be, we have had close to 20 children born in this church in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, a building has gone up, a floor has been poured, a new pastor's been voted on, there have been changes in leadership here at the church, changes in programs, and then you get down and you see some sitting here this morning have battled with cancer. Some of you have sent kids off to college. Some of you have been able to marry off a few of them. And so we've buried loved ones, we've teared up at unexpected baptisms. Life really has changed in 10 years, has it not? Well, we just can pull back and we can just look at our state and we can look at our country. 10 years we've changed uh, presidents. Congress has changed hands several times in 10 years. We have four new Supreme Court justices. A lot of significant historical moments have happened in the last 10 years. But my point is, is that a lot has happened in 10 years. And if the Lord continues to tarry over the next 10 years, a lot more is going to happen. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves is things here at the church change, as our community changes, and even as our individual lives change, The question I think we need to ask, the thing that we should be desiring, is what should we desire for our church? What should we desire for our lives as all of these things change? Well, the answer is in the title of the message this morning, what we should desire, what we should want for our life, and what we should want for our church is fruitfulness, we should want fruitful lives in fruitful church. And in Scripture, the idea of being fruitful is that what comes out of our lives and what comes out of our church is something eternal. In John fifteen eight, Jesus tells his followers to bear fruit. And then he tells us over the course of the Gospels that there are going to be things that are going to show up in your life that are going to try and keep you from bearing fruit. Anxieties, persecutions, difficulties. But we're also told that over the course of our life, and if, as we gather together in the church, there are going to be things that are going to appear as if they could bring fruitfulness. But they won't. So we have to keep an eye out. So my hope is, over the next six weeks is I want to first lay down for three weeks, I want to lay down the foundations of a fruitful life and a fruitful church. And then in the the next three weeks or the last three weeks, I'm going to give you the tools, and I want to talk about how we as a church are going to do things in order to flesh this out so that we can be fruitful. The first foundation we find is here in Romans chapter 1 if we're going to have a fruitful life and we're going to have a fruitful church, one of the things we're going to need is we're going to need to be able to see the world. Vision is what gives balance. And here in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, we get the foundation. We learn that it has to start with the gospel. Now, this is not the idea of it has to start with proclaiming the gospel. We're going to have to do that too, of course. And it's not just the idea of starting by believing the gospel. It is about gospel vision. And this morning, I want to help you have gospel vision by giving you three basic, timeless truths about the gospel. That bring us balance. There are the, the foundation for balance. So that we can be fruitful In our lives and in our church. Number one. Number one. The first thing we have to look at is we have to see that the gospel is about what Jesus has done. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. Let me focus your attention, verse 16, on the phrase, The power of God unto salvation. Of course, you see there, verse 16, that he's talking about the gospel. The gospel is the power, that is the way, it is the energy by which God will save people. It is a complete statement. It is a completely exclusive statement. This is how it's going to be done. Now, I've mentioned to you many times that people in our state and people in our nation spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on self-help books. And most of those books that your neighbors and your friends and your family are reading are saying to them, you have the power. Make these changes in your life and you will become the ultimate parent. Make this change in your life and you will finally find success in the workplace. Because all you really need to do is untap the power that is in you. And so these things make all sorts of promises to be able to save you by unlocking the power within you. However, I'm also noticing another trend that is happening in our culture, particularly among uh, politics and politicians. And that is to come along and take those that we disagree with and those that we uh, we, we would very much adamantly work in the opposite direction and, and for a politician to come along and label that side evil, dangerous, and then proclaim, I have the power to save you. But here is a clear, unequivocal statement. The gospel is the way. It is the energy. It is the explosion. It is what God has given for people to be saved. And so what we understand then is that the gospel is not just good advice. We understand that this is about good news. It's about the fact that we have been rescued from God's coming justice, his wrath, which the Bible clearly lays out as our biggest problem. Now, if it's the idea of being rescued or the idea of being saved, the idea is that somebody has come to our aid. And that someone is Jesus. And so we come back to that our salvation, our rescue, is based on what Jesus has done. And one of the things that we need to be careful of is that we don't confuse what the gospel is with what the gospel does. You know, the good news of the gospel is not that we finally have a way to deal with our guilt and shame. No, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done what is necessary so we can finally deal with our guilt and shame. You know, somebody might hear the gospel and uh, and they might be saved and they might be free from an alcohol addiction that they've had their entire life. But the good news of the gospel is not freedom from addiction. A person might hear the gospel and believe and become the most loving father and the most loving mother. But the good news of the gospel is not that you can be a loving parent. The good news of the gospel is what Jesus has done. That he has done absolutely positively everything necessary to put you in a right relationship with God. Believing that is what saves people. That is the gospel. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. One of my heroes in the faith, Martin Lloyd-Jones, would often ask people, are you ready to say that you're a Christian? And he talks about many times he'd get this reply of, you know what, I don't think I'm good enough to say that. And he mentions how that seems to be a very humble, very modest reply, but he labels it an evil one. Because the answer really should be a, throw, a full-throated confidence that you're a Christian because Jesus is good enough. Because what Jesus has done has saved you. Now, when we understand that the gospel is about what Jesus has done, there's usually two struggles. The first one is with lawlessness. Lawlessness. The idea is that if the gospel has nothing to do with me, if it's all about what Jesus has done, doesn't that leave me free to do whatever I want? And the Bible asks you the question, why, after Jesus has done everything necessary to deal with your condemnation, namely the thing that condemned you, your sin, after Jesus has done everything necessary to deal with it, why would you go back? I've explained to people more than once, there is no gospel fence. Gospel, uh, God doesn't say, now that you're saved, here's the 10 things you need to keep from backsliding. Here's the 10 things you need to stay on the right path. No, there's none of that. The Bible, the, the, the gospel's expectation is this, that you will love Jesus for what he has done more than the sin that gave you pleasure. That's it. No lists, no rules. Simply a call to love Jesus more than your sin. The other struggle that some people have is feeling now that they have to earn it. If Jesus did everything, I better be worth it. And so some will come up with an idea of what it means to be a good Christian. And they start doing that. In many cases, that means a Christian life that is completely devoid of joy. Because if you're living to be worth what he did, you are going to be tormented by your bad parenting you're going to be tormented by the wrong things that came out of your mouth, the things that came in through your head, all the times that you forgot to do your devotions, all the times that you didn't pray about that thing. In the book of Galatians, we have an example of people who heard the gospel. They believed the gospel, and then they tried to earn the gospel. They, they were trying to live in such a way that, that perhaps would make the, the life and blood of Christ not as necessary. Necessary. And what the Apostle Paul says to this people, that if you believe that it is possible to to ever live a life that made Jesus' life and blood less necessary, then you believe a gospel that is different than what the Bible says. The gospel is all about what Jesus has done to put you in a right relationship with God. If we're going to have a fruitful life and a fruitful church, it has to start with the gospel. It has to be because it is the only power, it is the complete and sufficient power of God unto salvation. This morning, you are being saved. This morning, you are going to be saved and you are saved completely, entirely, and totally upon what Jesus has done. And if we're going to have vision, if we're going to understand the world that we are ministering to, it has to start there. Number two. Number two. Second, the gospel story is the whole story. The gospel story is the whole story. I want you to note here, verse 16 in 7, at the end of verse 16, the entirety of verse 17, the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you wanted a summary of the entirety of the Bible, there it is. It presents to us the reality that there is an overarching story. There is a big picture. Let me explain it this way. First of all, the the Old Testament is the story about God's people. And one of the stories we find in the Old Testament is about how God gave his people a home. Starting with Adam and Eve, he, he gave them the garden. But they disobeyed and were exiled. God's people were given the promised land as a home, but yet they disobeyed and were exiled. We go through our Old Testament, we find a lot of images when it comes to Marriage. Not just a home exile thing, but a covenant. God covenanted himself or marries himself to a people. And then we watch those people commit adultery with one false god after another and become the right objects of God's judgment. In our Old Testament, we read stories about a kingdom and about the search for the right kind of a king. And all the kings that failed, again, and again, in all the ways they failed, and the result being the enslavement of people. But then you begin to realize as you go through your Bible, this is not just the story of, of the Hebrew people. This is the story of all people. You realize that as you go along in your Bible, you meet idolaters, you meet serial abusers, you meet destroyers and exiles. And you realize that these home exile, this king and kingdom, this uh, marriage and divorce, these themes you find in the Old Testament are really all of us. Everybody seems to be looking for a home. Everybody seems to be looking for that faithful relationship. Everybody wants to be free from being enslaved. And then we get to the Gospels and we meet Jesus. And he's not enslaved, not even to death. And he is faithful. And he's the king that can rescue. And then we get to the end of the story and we find ourselves at home in the garden city of God. And we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we live free under King Jesus. But as we look in verse 17, the text tells us one more thing is that every chapter of this story has had the same thing to say. If you want to get home, if you want to be free, if you want to know faithful love, the thing required is faith. Have you ever noticed how many terrible people are in your Bible? Just go start with Abraham, a pagan. How many of you think about the things that he did to his wife? guy comes along and says, I might beat you up if you don't give me your wife. And he says, oh, here she is. Can you imagine what your wife would think if that happened at Walmart? This, this guy, you know, he, he struggles to stay faithful. Yet, the Bible labels him as the good guy. He's the hero of that story. Why? Because he believed God. And then you meet Moses. A guy who's incredibly impatient, has a terrible temper. And he's highlighted as the hero of the story because he believed God. Same thing about David, Solomon, others. They're not the hero of the story because they're perfect. They're the hero of the story because they believed God. And then we get to Jesus and we meet someone who believes God and is perfect, which is why he's called greater than Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon. And unfortunately we live in a time where people don't believe in a big story. And in fact almost everything in our culture right now is contained to the individual story. Right now your entertainment at home can be shaped and molded to your entertainment preferences. We have now you can get online and you can shop and for your personal Needs And and unfortunately, so many churches are framing their worship services and their ministries about trying to fit individual needs because we don't believe in a big story. We believe in type B personalities and introverts and upbringings and opportunities and generations and things having to be formulated around all of those kind of things. But here, what Paul lays out for us is that if we know the gospel, then we know our Bible, and if we know our Bible, we know our world. Why, for example, do millennials? Why do millennials crave community? Why do women continue to look for love through the the doors of the sexual revolution? Why are there, is all this talk about being free? Yet people seem to be more and more enslaved. The Bible answers those questions. It tells us about our world. It tells us where this fits in the big story. If you want to understand your neighbor, your culture, your time in history, you have to know the gospel. And if we want a fruitful life, if we want a fruitful church, it starts with the gospel because the gospel tells us our story, It tells our neighbor's story, and it tells the whole story. So if the gospel is going to be our vision, if it's going to be a foundation, a place of balance for us, so that we can have a fruitful life, we must keep it and understand it, that it is about what Jesus has done. We must keep it and understand that it tells us the whole story about who we are and the world we live in. And then lastly, number three, the gospel is a great Treasure. You note there at the very opening of verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. If you go back to the beginning of the book in chapter one, the first of all, Paul lays out what the gospel is, and of course, he tells us the gospel is about what Jesus has done. And then he moves on to verse 9, and he talks about how he has put the gospel at the center of his ministry. It's at the center of his life for God. And then you note in verse 14, he mentions that the gospel is both the reason he wants to get to Rome, and it is the reason he has been delayed. Paul felt compelled to share the gospel with Greeks. If you want to understand, that's a cultural term to talk about civilized people. Think about the the people of your the old English shows that would sit around drinking tea and Wearing wigs and living in fine places and having all these fine manners. That was the Greeks. Paul wanted to share the gospel with the Greeks. But he also wanted to share the gospel with the barbarians. That was a cultural term used in that time to describe people like the Vikings and the French. Most people who lived in Western Europe who were considered dirty and ill-mannered. As we go through the Gospels, or as we go through the book of Acts, we realize that Paul is compelled to tell the Gospel to the highly educated, to those of no education. Paul's driven to share the Gospel with people of all sorts of positions, religious Jews, pagan Gentiles, jailers, soldiers, men, women, politicians, professors, blacksmiths, and kings. Pretty much everybody he met, he shared the Gospel with. And now, he's ready to go to Rome. And he wants to preach the Gospel there. Why? Because he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God and of salvation. The idea there of being ashamed is the idea that he doesn't hide. I'm not ashamed of my love for comic books. I've been here long enough that you know that, right? You know what else I'm not ashamed of? The fact that my wife can hammer and saw better than I can. not ashamed of the fact that i absolutely positively love professional sports but i can't play any not ashamed i don't hide any of that that's what paul is saying i don't hide it i am not ashamed now i would bet Some of you think this is the point where I stand up here and say, you know what, you're not sharing the gospel enough. Not sharing it enough in your personal life, not sharing it enough in our Sunday school classes, it's not showing up in our programs enough. Well, we'll get there, but that's not the application I want to make here. What I want to talk about here is we're talking about vision, about talking about seeing our world. And if the gospel is a great treasure, if it's something that we are not ashamed of, then it is something that has to be of high value. And it, it makes its way out not just in sharing the gospel with your neighbor. It's going to make its way out in other places. For example, a parent who is not ashamed of the gospel understands that it's more important for their child to hear the gospel than it is for them to learn to read. A budget that is not ashamed of the gospel understands the gospel ministry is more important than Netflix and Hulu and cable subscriptions. A church that is not ashamed of the gospel understands that it has more value to a church than whatever time we meet, whatever programs we have, and how big our budget is. If we are not ashamed of the gospel, that means we reject false gospels like prosperity gospels and social gospels. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, that it means that we are going to be particular about how it is shared and spoken and defined. It means that it has to be the, way, the, the, the very basis of fellowship with one another and it has to be the very basis of separation from others. You've heard me say this before, the gospel isn't Everything. What do I mean? Well, yes, a parent needs, if a parent is not ashamed of the gospel, they're going to understand that it's more important for their child to hear the gospel than to learn to read. But that doesn't mean we don't teach them how to read. Yes, we're going to spend money on gospel ministry, but we understand there's money to be spent on other things. We understand that we, we need to tell the gospel. We also know the Bible teaches us other things. The point here is that the gospel has to be the main thing. Not that it has to be the only thing. It has to be the main thing. The main thing in our lives has to be the news that Jesus has done everything to put us in a right relationship with God. If we're going to be fruitful in our life, if we're going to be fruitful in our church, then the gospel has to be that great treasure. It has to be the thing of which we are not ashamed. So the gospel gives us our vision and values. The gospel is the power. It is the good news about what Jesus has done to rescue us. And so we go out in the world and we understand that all of those things that we see and all of those things that we hear that promise to save us are false. And while we can talk about and praise how out of a person's life come all wonderful things after they believe the gospel, we make sure we understand that all of those good things are not the gospel. What Jesus has done to put us in a right relationship with God. That is the good news. And as we see our neighbors and our friends and our family members, we understand that the gospel is everybody's story, no matter their age, their gender, their background, their personality, their situation, they need the gospel. They need to believe God. Because they're longing longing to, to find a home is going to be found there. The thing, the true and faithful love they're looking for is going to be found there. The freedom they want is going to be found there. And then lastly, the gospel has to be a great treasure. We're going to pass in and out of all sorts of phases in life. Ten years from now, some of you are going to be marrying off a kid. Ten years from now, some of you are going to be sending them off to college. Ten years from now, some of you are going to have to bury your parents. Time's going to go forward. Phases of life are going to change. Jobs are going to change. Homes are going to change. Churches are going to change. Neighborhoods are going to change. But the gospel must remain the great treasure. And while it's not the only thing, it has to be the main thing. It has to be the main thing if we are going to have fruitful lives and be a fruitful church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be our foundation in our life, that we would understand the gospel, that Jesus has done it all, and that we would understand the story about our own longings and our own needs. Every, all of it leads back to the gospel. And I certainly pray, Father, we'd be the kind of people who are not ashamed But treat the gospel as the great treasure that it is. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.